Hello everyone, Ryan Bailey here and welcome to episode 20 of the Ball Talk podcast brought to you by our sponsor, Adapt Athletic Performance and Therapy. Please go over and give them a follow on Instagram by searching adapt underscore clinic. Every follow would be greatly appreciated. This episode's guest is former Armagh and Kalevi legend Stephen McDonald. Part 1 and 2 are on YouTube but this is the whole thing so it's a bit of a highlights reel. Of, uh, of Stephen's career and of course the My15 selection is included in it as well and we bounce around different current GA topics as well and Stephen gives his his opinion on those as well so I hope you enjoyed the podcast and let's get straight into things. Um, Steve McDonald, former Armagh senior footballer and of course you got that all ironed as well. How's, how's things with you Stephen? Not too bad, not too bad. Just delighted over the last couple of weeks to um, finally get back on, on the GA fields and back doing what we love doing um, which is enjoying sport exactly yeah there's been a lot of um, especially, especially now there's been a few RMI games as well there's been a lot of games between TG Carr and the GA putting them up there's plenty to watch as well over the last the last two months or so yeah there's been plenty of uh, good highlights you often watch them particularly when you're involved in them and you, you often wish that you're back in those great days again but um, you know what I always say to any player playing um Club bar county uh, football now at the minute. Enjoy every minute of it because your career really is over in the flash. And you know, I, I when I was, I suppose, stuck in the the storm that was county football and club football. You know, you don't really think of it like that there, but it, it just goes too quick. So it does it definitely does. And I was actually um, there was a, a journalist rang me earlier on this morning for an interview, and he was saying to me, "Do you know what you're doing 15 years ago today?" And I said, I couldn't tell you. I knew, I said, let me think, 2005, 10th of July, definitely Ulster final. He says, yeah, it was the draw in Ulster final against Throne 15 years ago today. <laughs> so, you know, I can remember that game clearly, so I can, but it's just hard to believe that it was 15 years ago. And um, it's, it's uh, you know, great days and great memories, but definitely enjoy when you're able to play and participate in sport, enjoy every minute of it. Exactly, it does fly. I think I saw yesterday as well, it could have been yesterday, the day before. It's it's thirteen years since Sligo won the Connacht title as well, which uh, seen that actually. Yeah, I think it was yesterday. Yeah, that's a long time coming for a second one now. But even even as you said there um, about your career kind of going by in a flash, there's a lot of fellas I'm sure that whether they're club or county players, they'd say they would have said this year they give it one more go, and then this happens the whole lockdown and pandemic, and it's kind yeah. of for some of them it'll take that year away from them. For others they'll just go for another year anyways. But it is a yeah, and exactly, and you can also look at it the other way. Um, maybe gays or girls are contemplating return. Um, I've had a new lease of life in the last couple of weeks, and and we're seeing them back on the football pitches as well, and that that's brilliant too. But um, you know, I suppose when you when you play for a long period of time and you have you have had enough, it's it's hard to. I suppose instill that drive uh, to get back on the football field, but definitely over the last couple of months, what I what I believe and what I think is that most teams throughout the country have had a huge improvement on the numbers that's attending training because uh, I suppose what the last three or four months have shown and proven to us is that you know GA is very much um, to the forefront in terms of our love for sport here in Ireland, and um, it's hard to do it out of it, and you know. When, when we haven't got it, you, you miss it a lot. Big time. And on the return to sport as well, I know everyone has their own, their own different opinions on it. At the same time, everyone's, everyone loves seeing football back. Um, 
In terms of yourself now, were you surprised at how quick the GA moved uh, in, in comparison to, their, I suppose, their earlier plans were to, or to leave it a bit later? But, like, things yeah. are... They just seem to come back all of a flash, I think. Is it the 17th... Or, no, the 20th of July, dressing rooms will be back open. Uh, the weekend, the 17th, games are back on. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> no, I think, you know, the GAA have been very careful and cautious from the offset in terms of the pandemic. And, um, you know, they, they were one of the first um, sports to put a halt totally and, and close the gates of, of all their um, facilities as well. So I think they've been uh, well advised in terms of, um, you know, bringing their plan forward. And I think, you know, once they're doing that, they're... It's, it's safe for players to get back participating in the games. And, you know, obviously there are strict guidelines that we all have to adhere to, um, which is very important. But, you know, with less and less cases uh, being announced on a daily basis and less and less deaths, you know, I think, um, you know, it is more or less safe to say that we can get back. And, and it's great to see that we can get back and join in what we do, uh, and which is participating on the, on the field, as I said earlier on. Exactly, and there's even like there's people just that eager to go to games. I know there's a lot of games going on up here, anyways. You look five old me old things playing challenge games and that. And there's there'd be more crowds actually at challenge games than there would have been at a, at the at a league game. You know, had things gone ahead. Yeah, absolutely. Listen, um, <laughs> when 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 you're in lockdown and you're walking past your GA grounds and you see a big. Uh, lock and chain around uh, the gates. All you want to do is <laughs> go and break it and, and get yourself into the into the pitch. And you know, I walk past our our own club grounds often enough with my dog during lockdown. And and I've often said, you know, what I would do now to go in there and watch a game, any type of game, whether it's under sixes all the way up to senior level. And I think um, you know, once we get the opportunity to get watching games, whether it's challenge games or competitive games, there's going to be. A huge influx of people looking to see it because it gives them something to do and, and something to enjoy watching and um, brings it all back the importance of sport again you know and um, it's very much to the forefront of a lot of people's lives and um, what they talk about on a daily basis as well and it's it's you know I can only imagine that it is going to um, attract good crowds and um, hopefully in a, in a safe manner but uh, it'll be good to see football back that's it and it's, I'm just you know you're kind of expecting, I know there's a lot of people saying, oh, you know, we've done well with the virus and everything. It's going to be, there'll probably be a second wave coming. But it's going to be interesting to see how the GA deal with that as well, because there will be, it will happen. I think, did I hear it happened down in Cork or something? There was, you know, it's one of these WhatsApps flying around that there was a game or there was a house party and lads from two clubs were at the house party. And then them two clubs went and played challenge games against two other clubs or something. And it's kind of, one of the teams anyways has stopped all, um, all trainings and, and games until all the players yeah. I think the Sunday game had it up there yesterday but them things will happen as well as long as they don't shut down the whole country based on yeah well listen there's a there is a responsibility in every every club um, to stick by the guidelines to make sure that each and every team that's going out onto the field has their COVID officers and that um, every you know, every parent has a responsibility as well that they are adhering to those guidelines too and, and that their kids are adhering to them. And um, it's important that, um, you know, we are allowed to continue to play and to train without, you know, the fear of possible lockdown again. But that's only going to happen um, if everyone does the right thing. And, you know, we have done the right thing over the last three or four months, so continue to do that.
and how are they working it so above an Armagh? Because um, I saw, as I think it was Humans the GA, one of them had it up. They actually had the championship plans for every county. So have they changed things in Armagh to suit the, the lockdown? Yeah, well, over the last couple of years in Armagh, the senior championship has been like a, a league base, uh, groups of four, and um, the, the, depending on where you come in the league, you know, will determine, I suppose, your next round of fixtures. But um, it's it's straight knockout now, which is which is good. That's what I love about um, championship football. I believe every county should have straight knockout. It's, it appeals to me a wee bit more, so it does. I, I probably grew up um, more used to playing knockout championship football and um, thankfully Armagh have opted to go down that route. I think in one-off games, you know, you can always have the, um, I suppose, opportunity for upsets as well and, um, you know, they've split their leagues as well, which is which is good. You know, it's down to, I think, maybe groups of eight or something like that. So each team's getting a minimum of eight games, uh, seven in the league and, and at least one championship game. So, um it is. It is good in that in that sense that you know the the season is compact. We know um, when the season is going to end across the board in terms of club football, and you've got to make the most of it, and you've got to limit uh, the games there. But um, when you when I'm saying limit the games, you know there's regular football, and what I like about it is um, <clears throat> most teams, in terms of the ratio of training sessions to games, is well reduced compared to the norm. You know. Um, Normally, we're used to maybe four or five training sessions to one game. Now, it's probably cut to two training sessions in one game. And that's what I like. You know, you want to be giving people, as many players, the opportunity to perform in, in game time as you can. And I think that's only an opportunity to, to further improve um, the skills of our players. Definitely. And I, like I know the way they've done it now up here. Uh, they've scrapped the league altogether. There was, it was proposed that they play two league games. I think it was two, but they've scrapped the league and they've gone with um, the Cairn and Cup, which I suppose is like an old Burn Cup sort of thing. You know, the yeah. one to the league, uh, they're gone, they've gone with that. That's only a three-game thing anyways. And then you've got um, two groups of five for the championship, top two in each, go through to semi-finals. So it's going to be 10, I think it's about 10 weeks worth of games. Every club yeah. is playing that 10 weeks, but it's 10 weeks worth of games and uh, all at neutral venues as well. So there'll be plenty of crowds and everything. The help of God now, there'll be plenty of crowds. But uh, yeah. definitely loads of people looking forward to it. But we'll go back, we'll go back a few years in time now to, to, to 2002, which pro, I suppose Armagh's, when you think of Armagh football, you think of the All-Ireland winning year in 2002. Um, I watched the Kerry game. The, I watched the final there only a few weeks ago. I think was it, it was either official J page or, um, or TJ Carr that had it up. And I watched bits and pieces of, um, of the Sligo game as well. Coming into that, you obviously had one year Ulster titles, but was there a certain point in the year, or was it the third of the year, where you said we're going to win in All Ireland? Um, <clears throat> we were probably fortunate enough that we had been knocking on the door for a couple of years before two thousand and two and ninety nine. We won Ulster; it was the first in seventeen years, and then we won it again in two thousand. And Tyrone beat us then in two thousand and one, but. We had a good run in the back door and the teams that managed to beat us in those three years were the teams that eventually kicked on and won the All-Ireland. So we knew we weren't a million miles away. Um, I suppose from our point of view, Joe Kearney came in and just gave us a new lease of life. Um, he instilled a wee bit more confidence in, into the team and we had that belief that we were going to uh, 
you know, be successful under Joe. So he did. He he had brought a huge amount of success in terms of uh, what he had done and achieved with Cross McGlen, and he came in and you know he put everything in, in the pathway for us to be successful to just concentrate on playing football and. That's what it really was all about. You know, we worried about playing football. He worried about all the nuts and bolts behind the scenes. And, um, you know, we were drawn with thrown in the first game. And that was a massive, massive test. Like, the reality was back then, ourselves and thrown were the heavyweights of Ulster. And, and you know, heavyweights in, in, in Ireland as well, in terms of um, football and ability uh, where the teams were at and they had won the National League so we probably went in as slight underdogs so for us it was a case of getting the result in that game and if we could get the result in that game then you know it would instill a huge amount of confidence in us as a team to kick on and you know set our sights on not only an Ulster title but greater things Yeah and like I said yeah as I said there with Joe coming in and then with the run of games, I suppose like it, it, it's. I suppose in some some people might have it in the back of their mind. They're like, you know, it's getting to that next step. Was there one game you overcame that you think like was a turning point in terms of? I don't know. I'm trying. I'm probably wording this a bit weird, but you were saying there how Joe kind of instilled it from the start that you were going to go and push on. But was there one game in that year that you think just something just clicked? And you just knew straight away you were going to do it. Yeah, well, I, I don't think there's any one game in particular. You know, the more games you win, and and the more teams you beat, you know, you're getting that step closer, of course. But the first round game definitely was a huge um, driving factor for us. We we beat Throne. They were National League champions. They were a young development team coming up, full of players who'd won under twenty one All Irelands and. Um, you know, that was a massive um, stepping stone for us in terms of kicking on to win Ulster. Once again, after we beat Throne, I was confident that we were definitely going to win Ulster. And that's not taking anything for granted or, or taking anything away from Fermanagh and Donegal, who we had beat in the semi-final and final that year. I just felt that we were definitely a better team. And we done that and we went and achieved that. Um, the, the biggest, the next biggest obstacle that we had to overcome was getting to Crow Park and, and eventually winning the game. We had knocked on the door a few times uh, in the years beforehand, and we always went up to Crook Park and came down the road um, defeated. So um, it was a case of getting there and getting the result. And a lot of the media talk around that team was that we couldn't win uh, critical games in Crook Park. So we had to, I suppose, prove a point wrong uh, and uh, get that right result. And you know, the first day out against Sligo in the quarter final, it was looking. To go our way, and then Sligo had a run of form uh, towards the end of the game, and definitely should have knocked us out. And um, there's no doubt that that was an opportunity missed by them, and one that we'll be forever grateful that Darren McGarry fisted the ball over the bar and didn't go for a goal. But um, you know that was that was a game that we definitely had confidence that we were going to go to Croke Park and, and finally win the game, and we ended up drawing the match, and the game was then taken to uh, Navin. Mm. And we we won the replay, of course. But um, you know, it was just a case of you know getting the result in Crow Park, doing what we had to do, and keeping the drive uh, forward towards uh, winning All Ireland. I know this is a this is more of a Sligo based question, but do you think if Sligo had beaten Armagh that day, would Sligo have gone on to win the All Ireland? No, 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 no. I think I think Dublin would have beat them. 
Um, and the reason why I say that is we were probably, we, well, we were a more seasoned team than what Sligo would have been. Um, Dublin had serious momentum uh, throughout that campaign. Uh, you know, they were really on a crest of wave in terms of um, the support that they had rallied behind them and how they were playing and performing. And they were, they were really playing and blowing teams away. And I think they would have done that to Sligo because Sligo weren't, as seasoned as what we were at that particular time. Um, we had gone through the, the three years of heartache before we actually reached that point. And then when we, um, I suppose, went on and played Dublin, you know, we were very much a strong-minded team. And no matter what they threw at us, uh, we were going to be able to withstand it. Yeah. I, I suppose um, to, to go to the next question, um, I know plenty of... I tried to bring something different into into these podcasts, into these interviews, because they don't want people answering the same questions over and over about their career. But something that um, I've been talking to different people about, spoke to Enda Smith about it before, and Joe Sheridan as well, and it's about the Railway Cup and the way that has just been gotten rid of in the last few years. And obviously you would have played it quite a bit in the, the early 2000s and, and to the latest yeah. yourself. It's it's something, when you, when you look back on it and you look at some of the teams, whether it's on... There's plenty of articles, whether they be RT or whatever, that have articles showing the two teams, whether it be any of the provinces that go up against each other. It's, it's, it's I suppose, like the All-Stars in the NBA or something. It's just mm-hmm. best of the best in the country. Do you think there is, there's a place for the Railway Cup had they structured it right? Yeah, um, it would need to be structured right and played at the right time of year. Uh, the unfortunate thing with the Railway Cup, and I know you know, maybe 30, 40 years ago, it used to be played on St. Patrick's Day in Croke Park, which definitely would have been a huge attraction. And maybe that opportunity might be there for now, again, in, in the years to come, because the club finance have been brought forward. But, um, you know, from from a player's point of view, you know, while it was a great honour representing your province and coming up against the best players, it was always played in November time. Um, you know, my experience of playing in the River Cup was always played in November time, and it's not the the best time of year to be um, playing, I suppose, football at, at that type of level. You're not going to see the best in the players as well. You know, players play and perform at their at their best when the ground is a wee bit firmer as well. And um, you know, you're expected after a long enough season to maybe travel to the the middle of the province and and put in training sessions and then go out and represent your your province as well. And and it is a massive massive honour. Any team they got, you get to represent. Um, you always um, take the opportunity with both hands. And but I just think the timing of it um, has got to be right. So it does. It, it's got to be. Uh, there's there's no denying that there is a place in it. Um, I'm you know I played in it where it was played over a weekend, and I think that's a good idea for it as well. You know where semi finals have been played on the Saturday and the finals on the Sunday. So um, I think that could be an opportunity to be looked at as well. But um, as I said. Playing it in November, December time um, isn't appealing to players. Sir, I remember, was it around 2010, I think? I'm not sure you could have been playing. It was Ulster and Sligo, or Ulster and Sligo, Ulster and Connacht. It was in Merkwich Park. And I think uh, Connacht had a full forward line of Conor Mortimer, Michael Meehan, and David Kelly, who was on fire for Sligo at the time. Yeah. And there was, in terms of a crowd, there was probably between backroom teams and panels, there was probably more on the pitch than there was in the stands watching. Yeah. Like just the crowd wasn't there. And even, it, this, that was something that Joe Sheridan even said himself. He said the crowds just weren't coming to anymore. 
uh, like even media and stuff, it wasn't getting the recognition it should have got, but it was dying out all the same. Yeah, and I played in the final um, in Crook Park against Leinster, I think maybe around 2006-07 time, um, and I would say there was maybe 150 people at it. So, you know, that in itself gives you an idea of what people thought of it. Um, but, <clears throat> say, listen, players always want to, you know, first and foremost, as a club player, if you're good enough to represent your county, that's what you want to aim to do. And then when you're playing county football, if you feel that you want to take your game to the next level and play with more uh, players from other provinces or other counties, you know, Rave Cup is the next step. And you, and you want to represent as many of those teams as possible. But, you know, um, the timing has to be exactly right for a competition like that there um, because there's no point in playing it where um, there's no crowds, you know, and there's no people enjoying it. No players really enjoying it when it's played at the wrong time of year and that's it. Definitely, yeah. And there's even, even if they, they went, I suppose, uh, take it a year on, year off thing with the international rules and that's, that's something else that... Uh, uh, that I'd like to talk about in a few minutes if they went with a, a one-year Railway Cup one-year international rules I know there's still a lot of football the, there's a lot of county players that'll be playing Sigerson Cup and just about back in time just about back to play with their clubs as well but even yeah. if it's something like that to have a year on year off because it is it's just it's it's not not only is it interest and crowds it's burnout as well yeah well Listen, it's it's hard to know exactly how you'd um, work with that there year on, year off, or, or if it would be a success or not. If you're trying to, I suppose, reinvigorate a competition like that there, I think it would need to be played on a yearly basis for a period of time to see if, if it generates any amount of support. In terms of, um, you know, and I've been fortunate to play both provincial and, and international rules, and in terms of generating crowd uh, crowds to the games and, and a lot of people aren't fans of the international rules but you know by far the international rules outweighs um, the, the Railway Cup in terms of, of generating an income for the GA but also attracting crowds and something for the crowds that turn up to enjoy watching you know it's a different game but it's something for them to enjoy a bit more Definitely and on, on the topic of the international rules um, I know you had a good few years playing it yourself Um but just in terms of the GA at the moment, there's the the rule changes every year to the game. Is the game is the game of Gaelic football getting slowly and slowly more like international rules every year? Yeah, um, I'm not enjoying the rule changes at all. Um, I'm managing the team at the minute and trying to coach the players to to play to these rule changes. Um, sometimes can be a wee bit difficult, but also you know you're passing a lot more responsibility onto the shoulders of a, of a referee. You know, it's, it's hard enough to officiate um, a game as it, as it was without adding more complications to it. And, you know, at the end of the day, we want our game to be played as fast as we possibly can and, and at, a high, at a high speed. Um, the, the attacking mark, for instance, slows the game down. So it does, um, you know, in the, in the international rules, it's a fantastic rule, so it is. It gives you that opportunity to get a wee pocket of space and if you make the mark, then you've got a free kick and most nine times out of ten, the GA player will kick that ball over the bar. But in our own game, where an inside forward, for, for talk's sake, is more used to coming out and winning the ball and straight away either laying it off or taking a man on, you know, to have to hold his hand up and, you know, 
wait for the referee to reward him a, a mark. It's just slowing all the way down, and, and the fact that you've got 15 seconds to <coughs> take that kick, take that kick nowadays, um, you know, plays into the hands of a team that wants to um, run the clock down as well. And I'm not a fan of um, the rule changes that have been implemented, and I would certainly love to see the mark being done away with. I have no problem with the mark out the field on, in terms of a kick out. That's, that's really not slowing the game down too much but the, the attacking mark um, will eventually slow down because coaches and managers will be afforded more time to work on it and to really you know get their teams playing to that tune as, as such and that's not where we want to be. Definitely and even the defensive mark to be honest I didn't even know there was a defensive mark until they said it last week. I think it was their training. Exactly, exactly. It was the same with myself. I didn't even realise until last last Saturday that there was a defence. Yeah, because which is absolute bullshit, to be honest. Yeah, because I'd say the problem. I don't know. You, you can imagine it's it's a they're trying a case of oh well, we're giving so much to the attacker attackers maybe we should give something to the defenders to reward them. But if if a man beats a forward to a ball. He's probably not going to just stand up. He's going to want to power on because he's got the momentum to keep running. Like it's very yeah. it's that they're going to stop unless they're trying to wind the game down, or if it's if a high ball comes in the keeper, he might call a mark because he's under pressure or something. Yeah, well, if you're if you're a player, I, I think the long term it could probably run the risk of more injuries because if you're a player running at full force, full speed, and you're coming out to make a mark, and then you have to suddenly stop. Yeah. To to rather determine uh, that you want to take that mark, I think it could run to run into knee injuries, cruciate injuries, whatever it may be, and it's something that the GA have to uh, certainly look at. Um, is if it's something that they want to stay with or, or keep it. You know, it, there has been high profile people coming out and, and speaking against it. Tommaso Shea in particular, speaking against these marks, and and I fully fully agree with what he's saying. Um, I don't think. You know, we we're well, we're looking at Hurling, for instance. Hurling is played at a high tempo, and they're allowed to play at a high tempo and high speed. And there's not too many rule changes in it on the early basis. But why are they continuously amending the rules in Gaelic football, um, and slowing the game down and making it more and more um, each year to to be looking like like um, Australian rules? And I just think we're we're forgetting the fact that Gaelic football should be a fast-paced game. Uh, played at speed, played on the turn. Uh, you know, a forward's instinct should be to get the ball and to take a defender on and and try to create a scoring opportunity. A defender's instinct should be to try to stop the forward getting the ball and driving out, breaking tackles and, and laying the ball off. And that's the way the game should be played. Shouldn't be played um, at making a, a catch and then stopping and slowing the pace of the game down. Definitely. How how long do you give these rules? Do you think they're going to be will they last until next year? Hopefully not. Hopefully not. Um, I hope that they are going to be done away with. And if if not, you know, <clears throat> if not this year, and they're still about next year, what we're going to see will be a game where, you know, there'll be maybe twenty points in the game, but sixteen or seventeen of those points come from marks, and that's that's the long term disadvantages to this. Uh, mark once the coaches and managers fully get in line and in tune with coaching their teams uh, to play that way, that's what we're going to end up seeing. Instead of you know. The normal, which should be now 20 points being scored and maybe 16 or 17 of those points come up from play. Definitely, yeah. And, and it's going in a way that everyone has to be a free-taker as well. You have to be able to exactly. in some way. 
regardless yeah, of and, on the field. You know, you you could find a cornerback up in the attacking end of the field, which I have absolutely no problem with, but making a mark and you know, his teammates not having the confidence in him to be able to kick the ball over the bar. But um, you know, there is a pass to be allowed now, which probably helps teams that think a wee bit faster as well. But most most time and, and not not every player is is up there. The speed with this as, as well, and I wasn't up to speed with it until once again last weekend. I thought once you received an attacking mark, that you had to um, opt for shooting only. And I've been told and made aware uh, since then that you know you're you're allowed to pass the ball. So yeah, uh, it's it's hard to know how it'll play out. I suppose the first few games will tell us. Like I, I can't imagine going to a club game or playing a club game where there's going to be a mark called and more than five points got off it. Some teams will, yeah. some teams will try and, and play it into their hands if they've got a six or five full forward. You know they'll try and work yeah. with him, but um, I can't imagine it's working too working too well. Yeah, well, listen, um, good defenders will know how to break the ball away, and I go back to um, the Rabia Cup game that I spoke about actually in in Croke Park. It was actually ourselves against Monster, it wasn't against Leinster. It was. It was Monster and um, Kieran Donaghy was full forward. Um, he was running right for the first ten minutes, and we ended up putting Conor Gormley in and Kieran Don- Kieran Donaghy uh, at full back. And every high ball that came in, Conor just got up and broke it. And the Ulster players surrounded Kieran, picked up the the possession, and and you know went on the attack. And good quality full backs and cornerbacks will know. You know, if it's a big man coming in and break the ball, don't try to compete with them in the air because you won't have a chance, but you have a chance of breaking the ball. And that's exactly how he played it. He played it a very smart game that night. And that's, that's what you do against the big full forward. And and you're not going to break every ball. They might catch the odd one, but, um, you know, teams think that it's a case of putting a six foot three or four guy in the edge of the square and lumping ball into them. They're mistaken. Yeah. Uh, we'll move on now. <coughs> Uh, we do a bit of a, I suppose, a quick fire, quick fire style questions now. Um, there, I have them down here on the phone. First one is always your favorite pair of boots that you ever wore. If there's one pair that you could just say, keep making them for the next however many years. Yeah, I think I think I'm in, in line with saying, uh, and most people in the country will agree with this. Predator Manias were were a fantastic boot. You know, if if only to bring them back, um, I think you can maybe get them online now at the cost of three or four hundred pound. But yeah. we've been extortionate, but definitely quality quality football boot. Yeah, I bought a pair. Uh, there's a lad. I think he's is he up in Derry. I'm not sure. Um, he does buy them in. I don't know where he buys them in from, but they're like uh, cheap sort of remakes. They're like a hundred euro or something. And right. I've seen a few lads have them, and um, a few lads have had them for. But the lads whose boots last longer, they're usually goalkeepers, and the lads who use them, their outfielders might last them a month or two. So you can tell yeah. what. what <laughs> yeah, it's hard to hard to beat the the real thing. Yeah, they have to be kept well too, as well. Have to be kept well, yeah. Exactly. Uh, the next question then. Uh, so you had, as I said, the All Ireland win in two thousand and two. If there was one player from any other county at that time. That you could bring into that Armagh team, who would it be? At that time, uh, 
Listen, I've always been a huge fan of Benny Coulter. I've played with him um, long enough in terms of the internationals and Raver Cup. And he's a fantastic player. I've always wished and said that I wish he was from Armagh. Um, he's he was a fantastic player. He, he great ability to you know fetch balls from the sky, but great attacking instinct and a great player to get a goal as well. And probably Benny Coulter would be the the one player back then that I would say I would love if he was part of the Armagh squad. Spot on. Your favourite Armagh jersey? Oh, uh, oh! Actually, one I got last week sent to me, which is the retro one, the new retro jersey set by Masita. Um, I saw them actually. I got, yeah, fantastic one. It's an orange jersey with the white stripes going across it. Um, Armagh award back in eighty nine, ninety time. So, and that's when I was maybe ten or eleven years old. So, fantastic jersey. Um, I think they will generate a lot of sales in the in the coming months, and that would certainly be up there with my favorite Armagh jerseys of all time. I mean, the ret- the retro jersey market's kind of getting a bit of a spike now, isn't it? Yeah, it's great to see. Um, there's a few retro jerseys that I would love. Um, I always loved the Meath jersey, the one with the uh, checks, the squares in, in the middle of it as well, around probably late eighties time as well. And, Something yeah. uh, that I liked about it, and I think Masita again have brought it out. So there, there is definitely a market for it now. Retro jerseys, whether it's soccer jerseys or, or Gaelic jerseys, um, they're I suppose a fashion item now, and uh, people will wear them probably a lot faster than what they would wear a regular jersey. I would wear a retro jersey, but I wouldn't wear a regular jersey at all. Yeah, there's uh, I don't know, especially with the soccer jerseys now. There's a few dodgy ones that that are flying around. Actually, the the Gaelic jerseys, I actually I actually love this one because I think the design is nice on it. But I don't like the cuffs on the sleeves; they're awful tight. <laughs> that's, that's the annoying thing. Um, yeah. Even with the retro soccer ones, uh, I picked up one there two weeks ago. I'm waiting for it to come now. It's the the United one from the mid '90s. It's like half green, half yellow. Do you know the one? Uh, you, you just disappointed me there saying that you're a United man. You look like Liverpool man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I'm a Liverpool man, that's for sure. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, I, th- I was thinking, did I see it up on your up on your Instagram after the won the league? And I was thinking, I can't bring it, I can't bring it up, I can't bring it up. Yeah, I, that's that's the old jealousy in you guys now at the minute. You <laughs> <see>. <laughs> yeah, it was a turn now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I got that, got that United jersey, so I'll have to. Pity now we couldn't have done this in a week or two. I would have worn it for you. <laughs> yeah. Our next question there is sport and icons. I'll let you pick one, um, one GA player that you would have looked up to, and one other sporting player, whether it be soccer, tennis, basketball, whatever. Yeah. Um, the one GA player. I suppose when you're growing up, you always pretend to be a player in your garden, or when you're when you're down in the field practicing and for me the one player that I always admired and loved watching was Jack O'Shea from Kerry um, probably one of the most iconic midfielders of all time and um, you know he I, I was running around toe tapping the ball in the backyard and shouting out Jack O'Shea on the ball whatever and he kicks it over the bar <laughs> but thankfully then 10 years ago uh, 2010 when I was the captain of the international rules um Anthony Tohill, who was the manager, brought Jack O'Shea in to present us with our jerseys, and it was brilliant. I've met Jack on numerous occasions, but that was a special occasion uh, to meet and get him to present uh, the team with, the, with our jerseys, and that was a unique time for me and, and a fantastic um, memory and moment. Brilliant. And your uh, your your other sporting sporting icon? Uh, 
listen, there's there's I suppose lots of um sporting icons, you know, being being a Liverpool fan, I grew up watching the likes of John Barnes and players we got there. I, I loved how he played football. He was a very skillful player, scored brilliant goals. Um, you know, Stephen Gerrard, a Liverpool fan as well, you know, fantastic Liverpool player. Then other sports you have to obviously have the the outstanding candidates, Muhammad Ali. Michael Jordan, people like that there, but probably the one that sticks out in my mind most would be Michael Jordan. Um, I think, you know, in in terms of clutch moments and massive games, he always produced the, the 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 goods and you know, for any young player looking at that there has to be you know, has to be inspiring for them. But, you know, when the chips are down, you know, coming up at the goods time after time, um, is something that y- you can only learn and and Gain from the the hours upon hours of of work that you put in the training field. Yeah, I only watched the the last dance there. It was a two weeks ago myself, and it yeah. really, it really gives you an insight into what he was capable of. Yeah, yeah. Um, I watched it a few, I suppose, when it was uh, released first, and you know, it definitely gives a good good insight. Some people say he comes out the wrong end in terms of his selfishness and his, his desire to, to be successful. But at the end of the day, you know, if you have that will to, to win and, and the desire to be successful as bad as what he has, you know, you're going to be certain, certainly you will, you will, I suppose, annoy others around you by, by having that type of tunnel vision. Well, um, <clears throat> sorry, no, a bit of a dry throat. Um, the last, the last of the quick fire questions now, uh, in terms of characters and pranksters on on inter county teams or club teams, there's been a few good stories so far. I think Barry John Keane told one about um, the O'Shea's putting fish in somebody's care, and Matty Donnelly told a story about some of the Tyrone players tying so tying um, was the kit man's shoelaces to seat in his care, and he couldn't get out for a game or something. I'll have to look back and see, but. Um, You've obviously played with some brilliant characters in the GA yeah. um, in the early stages and the later stages of your career. Uh, in terms of, I suppose, if you can pick one overall nutter, <laughs> I suppose yeah. you call them a prankster and the best prank that they pulled as well. Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say as such uh, that he's, he's, a, he's a prankster, but he's an absolute messer and joker, Benny Tierney. Um, what a character he is, a brilliant character around the dressing room, you know, full of laughs and jokes and he really can tell a good story as well. And, um, you know, he, Benny is a specialist now at after dinner speaking and, you know, I've known Benny a lifetime and it's the way he tells them. He just, he's a smart-witted uh, character that um, is able to tell a good yarn and he has, he always has the audience in front of him in fits of laughing and he was a, a real good character to have, you know, when you're, I suppose driving down Jones Road, preparing for a serious game, he, he always kept the mood lighthearted, so he did. But um, good, good character, Benny was. I suppose um, when you're thinking of uh, pranksters and jokes, um, you know when I went back and retired from inter county player, I, I played for the club for a couple of years. We had a successful season in 2012, but one of the guys cycled up to the training pitch all the time, and there were two or three of the lads absolutely tortured him the whole season long uh, by taking the wheels off his bike, you know, uh, unlocking the chain and maybe uh, 
locking the bike somewhere else, putting it on the roof of the changing rooms. He was absolutely tortured, so he was. So, um, you know, yeah, that, that's that's things that you actually, actually missed the, the dressing room banter and things he got there. And uh, you know, he just kept coming back for more. He, he didn't he didn't give in, and you know, the whole the whole campaign. You know, every training session he was still back with his bike, and whether it was the boys letting his tires down, he just kept coming back for more, and I loved every bit of it. And you need that type of, um, I suppose, character around the place as well. Yeah, is that, is that nearly that playground sort of stuff that that is the best, the best crack to have in a team. Anyways, it's good for like as you said, sort of breaking the ice and them and them. Yeah, as you said leading up to Jones, Jones and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, we'll move on to the the my fifteen selection now. If you you said you have it there in front of you, so it's been a few weeks since I've actually done this. This would be episode number twenty. Uh, I think the last one to do it was Barry John Keane, and that was ten. Oh no, sorry, it was Daniel Goulding. It was um, three weeks ago now, so it has been a while. So just to explain the rules, because um, this will be going out on Spotify as well. Not everyone will be able to see it. So just to explain the rules. Um, I asked Stephen there uh, a couple of weeks ago to prepare a team of 15 of the best players that he's played with. Um, they can be players that he played with at club level, county level, international rules, um, railway cup, colleges, whatever. And you can have them in for whatever reason you want. The only other rule is that you have to be in the team yourself. But um, Barry John made an exception that time. He said he preferred to be coming off the bench for that, for that team. So, uh, <laughs> Okay. Some fellas who like to play the rules. So if you want to see where you put yourself in the team, that's where that's where we usually go from. Okay, right. Well, I put myself in a 13 where I played most of my career. Um, I'm not going to talk about myself, but I'll just, that's the position I will play. Uh, number 13, that's it. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, yeah, so we'll go back to the number one spot then. Yeah, number one, um, I suppose, having been fortunate to play for the teams that I played for Club County country and province um, there, there's one outstanding candidate and, and probably the greatest goalkeeper of them all Stephen Cluxon Okay so you'll play with Stephen at, at International Rules I'm sure play with, Steve, play with Stephen at International Rules and you know uh, I don't think there's much explanation needed here he, he's probably set the trend for goalkeepers for the years to come and to be still playing at the level that he is playing at um, right up to the current uh, season you know is, is Unbelievable achievement! And um, you know, I played with Stephen, played against Stephen. Sorry, in his breakthrough year in two thousand and two, and you know, he's still going now in twenty twenty. And you know, that's a remarkable achievement to to be able to keep that fitness, uh, the fitness levels as high as what he has, and and to keep the standard of his play as high as what he has has been not short or remarkable. And you know, I was lucky enough in maybe three or four campaigns to play alongside him with the international rules. Exactly, and like his. His ability as a goalkeeper, uh, it, it you know it doesn't go unnoticed. But at the same time, people are saying how, like, so whether it's Rory Began or Niall Morgan, how they're changing goalkeeping. But it, it's it's Cluxton who, you know, revolutionised goalkeeping. Yeah, Cluxton was the template for for the likes of Niall Morgan and and Began now, and those players are able to come up the field and maybe kick a point or two. But Cluxon, in terms of his kickouts and his variance with them, was the player who who set the benchmark. Yeah, he's, he 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 did one of these things. Um, I suppose, as as I said, in revolutionising goalkeeping. You know, like my kids going out on the playground, there was always no one wanted to go on goals, 
But then you go up and see Stephen Cluxton kicking a winning point in the Ireland final. All of a sudden, everyone wants to be a goalkeeper. Yeah, yeah. Different, different. Like, you know, you dream of kicking the winning score in the All-Ireland final and for a goalkeeper to come up and do that definitely encourages kids to play in goals. Absolutely. Exactly. Uh, the full back line then, Stephen, we'll move on to that. Yeah, the full back line um, is Enda McNulty, uh, a player that I played against uh, on the training field many, many times. I, I put a lot of, I suppose, my own career down to the tight margin and the hardships that end up put me through in the training field as well. A fantastic man-to-man marker, very physical player, very fast player, and a player that, you know, he was a specialist man marker. He always got the, the job of, um, I suppose, trying to nullify the threat of the danger man um, when we come up against the likes of Throne or, or Derry. And like he, he always done a great job in the likes of Peter Canavan, Paddy Bradley and Colin Cooper, players who got there. So, and McNulty um, was an automatic uh, in there for me. Fullback, um, you know, I've been lucky to play with many great fullbacks, the iconic Francie Bailey, of course, um, was a fantastic fullback. But for me, um, I played with Aidan O'Mahony with the international rules. I thought he was a very strong physical player. Um, a player who obviously won multiple irons, but um, a great leader in, in defence and somebody who played driving out with the ball the way you want a fullback to play. And the other cornerback, probably one of the most tenacious cornerbacks that I've come up against, once again, played with him in the international rules. Um, a specialist man-to-man marker um, one of the greatest cornerbacks in the last 20 years was Sean Marty Lockhart from Derry a fantastic footballer and um, a player that you know was held in high regard by anyone that played alongside him and anyone who played against him Perfect and you, and you have the you have the mix there of the man-marking cornerbacks and the fullback that'll just take the ball off them and go up the field with it Exactly yeah, yeah. I always love to see I suppose somebody breaking out defence, breaking lines and supporting the play and the man he could do that to great effect. That's perfect. We'll go on into your, your half-back line. Half-back line, I've gone for an all-armah half-back line, believe it or not. Um, just simply because of the the amount of time that I play with these players, you know, and playing in the position where I played, I received many fantastic balls from these guys and probably set up... Uh, 80% of my scores for Armagh. Number five, Aaron Kernan. Um, a Rolls-Royce player. That's the best way I can describe Aaron Kernan. Fantastic footballer. Great great brain. Um, great energy to get up and down the field. But what a fantastic um, foot passer he was as well. So he's in at number five. Number six, the obvious choice, Geezer. Uh, Kieran McGinney. Um, one of the well, the most inspirational captain that I've ever played under. Um, a driving character in any dressing room. And... Um, you know, his long diagonal left foot passes into me, um, you know, certainly set up a huge amount of my scores. As I said, a brilliant, brilliant um, leader on the field, fantastic footballer. And, you know, when you want somebody to win that uh, dirty ball towards the end of a game or make that diving block, Giza was the man that stood up. And then at number seven, a player who, for me, you could actually put in any position in the, in the hold of the defence. Uh, from cornerback to number seven, and that's Kieran McKeever. Um, a brilliant footballer, naturally gifted footballer, a brilliant man-to-man marker, a brilliant, I suppose, enforcer, a brilliant player to drive up the field and kick a score. And the best way I can describe uh, Kieran was, um, you know, in in his early years when he first brought broke on to the Armagh senior team, he he was, I suppose, the man to try to nullify the threat of Benny Coder and. 
Benny Calder absolutely detested him as a footballer. Detested him. And simply because Kieran was that good, um, he, he he was able to man mark and, and stop uh, a quality player like the, with the the attributes of Benny. And it was only until Benny actually got to play with Kieran at international level that he really, um, I suppose, seen the full benefits of what Kieran could do. And then two two of the boys became really good friends. So it's it's amazing how how it turns around, you know, from detesting a player to becoming really good friends. And Kieran's actually managing Benny's club team now in Mayor Bridge as well so yeah. you know he's getting he's getting the benefit of that there as well but uh, Kieran McEvoe is a fantastic player um, good captain as well you know captain Armagh under 21 to all Ireland success and um, for, with on to captain Armagh seniors as well and definitely a fantastic popular so in all Armagh half back line I, you know I've been fortunate enough to play with many top players throughout the country um, yeah. it's, it's, it's definitely a difficult task to pick your best players uh, that you played alongside with, but I think it would be um, difficult to overlook those players. And I'm overlooking the likes of Aidan O'Rourke and Annie McCann, who are fantastic players as well for Armagh. Kieran Hughes as well. All brilliant, brilliant players, but um, you just have to make tough calls in, in this thing. As Gary Sice said, he said he'd, he'd come on to another podcast and do a B team then. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, just there, as you said, it's actually very interesting, as you're saying with uh, McKeever, how you don't know how good a player is until you play with them because you're so yeah. used against them. Um, that, yeah, that's just something that I suppose you can say for any any player. You, you're going into a game and you're like, geez, I hate playing against this fella. hate yeah. this fella. But then when you're on the same teams and you look back and he's after keeping a man scoreless or... He's, he's exactly the type of player you want in your team and that's that's it and Kieran was able to mix it he, you know he could be physical and he could be nasty at times but you know as a defender I think you have to have those type of traits in your game but he could also attack um, I think Kieran was probably underestimated in terms of how he could play football he was a natural footballer he could, he could spread balls about he could play make from the half back line as well and that's a part of his game that was often overlooked and he was just a fantastic player the, I usually ask at the end, um, I'd ask who the captain is of the team, but I think there's no question in this one that um, Kim McGinney yeah, is the automatic choice for captain, absolutely. And in terms of captains then as well, there's some captains will take the door off the hinges, others will say very little, do their talk on the field. What sort of a captain was he in that sense? He was a bit of both. So he was, um, you know, is, um, he was a great communicator. Kim was a, a very, very strong communicator he's a very emotional communicator as well and you know some of his team talks um before leaving the dressing room it wasn't a case of banging doors or anything like that but he really hit home in terms of what representing this county meant to him and what it should mean to his teammates as well and you know a lot of the time we talked to the field in a great strong frame of mind simply on the back of Kieran's inspirational team talks um very, very strong communicator. But, you know, when, when he talked to the field, he never, ever asked any player to do anything that he wasn't prepared to do himself. Never. And he, absolutely, without a doubt, he was one of the best trainers um, that I've ever seen. You know, he put him, his body on the line night after night, put himself through hours upon hours of pain to make sure that he was able to perform for our man. And he was just a fantastic leader, you know. Um, probably out of the half-back line, not as naturally gifted as Aaron Kiernan or Kieran McKeever in terms of football and ability. Yeah. But Kieran worked so hard on his football and ability that he became 
the best player in the country at one stage. So um, that's testament to his drive to succeed. Yeah, true warrior for sure. Um, we'll yeah. go on to onto the midfield then. Yeah, midfield. Um, I couldn't look overlook Palmer Green again. Um, another arm up here that I played alongside. Um, probably next in line to Kieran McGinney in terms of the driving force for, for that Armagh team. Um, another strong character, another inspirational leader who was um, an outstanding footballer, you know, mixed it with the likes of Darrow Shea year after year. Paul McGrain probably around the 2000s was the outstanding midfielder along with Darrow Shea in the country. And his long drag ball, Paul, <coughs> Paul had a great saying, get it in the mixer. And that was just long drag ball. As soon as Paul McGrain had the ball in his hands, I knew exactly where it was going. And it was coming in on top of us. Whether it was good ball, bad ball, it didn't matter. We knew it was coming in, so get ready to fight for it. And Paul was um, an inspirational character. Another player like Kieran, you know, his attitude to training was exemplary and um, a great lesson for any young player coming through as well. And the second choice, um, probably uh, from the near neighbours to their own, Sean Kavna. Um, a fantastic footballer. I think he maybe picked up five All-Star awards during his career. Um, some of them in the forward line, but some of them midfield as well. But Sean was a brilliant player that I played alongside with with Ireland and with Ulster. And you know, he's definitely been one of the most outstanding Gaelic footballers over the last twenty-five years as well. And what he's achieved on the pitch in terms of what he what he won with Tyrone, what he won on an individual basis, and. You know, he stepped up time after time uh, for his own county and produced, um, you know, match-winning performances and match-winning scores. And you know, I, I had to put him in the team as well. It's incredible. Like something I always notice with Kavanagh, he does that. Um, does that bit of a shuffle where he's coming in? Off the me, yeah. now, right, you know it's going to happen, but you just yeah. don't. It's it'll still always throw the defender. You know, well the defender knows it's going to happen, but it still yeah. manages to throw them. Yeah, it's some players just have a knack of getting away with it time after time. But um, Sean had great football and ability as well to be able to, you know, if a defender did know and stand in his way of what he was going to do, he'd probably come up with something else as well. So, but he, he got away with it most of the time anyway. He just had that knack of a fast shuffle and, um, you know, gaining a, a, a metre of space for himself and being able to kick the ball over the bar. And, and that's a great attribute to have. Definitely. And, and you're, as you were saying there with, uh, with Paul McGrain, the way he just put the ball, as he said, put in the mixer, put the ball straight into the full forward line. And yeah. that way, I know teams might be a bit reluctant now to put the ball straight in, regardless if it's, if it's a good ball or a bad ball. Do you think, if, uh, if, is there a place for teams to do that now? Just, I suppose, not lump it in, but lump it in at the same time, if you know what I'm saying. Well, I suppose we had the benefit of having a, a full forward line that didn't mind how the ball was coming in, you know, and we're prepared to work and fight for every ball that came in. You know, you've, we had a presence in there. We had good ball winners. So um, it was it was a case of the faster the ball's in there, the better opportunity we have of, of winning games. And Paul McGrain was a no-nonsense type player, you know, an absolute gentleman, gentleman off the pitch. Um, but, you know, if you cross them on the pitch, <laughs> he would let you know about it. But, you know, one that kept driving the ball in time after time. Um, and, you know, sometimes what you're looking at nowadays in terms of football, you see a midfielder catch a ball and you, you don't know whether he's going to deliver it or not. And maybe the inside forward has made that run and he has to check himself and make the run again. And by the time he makes that run the third time, he is tightly marked and then the ball comes in 
and the defender comes out with it. We never had that problem with Paul McGrain. Once he had the ball in his hands, it was coming in. There was no nonsense about it, and we knew the show, and that was it. Perfect. Uh, your half forward line then? My half forward line, um, once again, uh, I spoke about him earlier on, Benny Coulter, class act, act absolute fantastic footballer. Um, like Kieran McKeever, you can play Kieran anywhere in defence, you can play Benny anywhere from midfield up. He was that good, so he was uh, he, he was a player who had an outstanding leap, a great eye for goal, and just had an athleticism that um, he could tramp the field and had the energy to keep going throughout 70 minutes. Brilliant footballer, brilliant character, brilliant character outside of the football field in the bars as well, you know, <laughs> loves a pint or two. And uh, one that I got to know and become really friendly with um, through my years of playing with him in the international rules. He was a player that I established a brilliant understanding on the football field with as well. And um, I would put a lot of my international rules success down to um, playing alongside a player like Benny because he was smart, a very, very, very smart, intelligent footballer, knew when to make runs, knew when to make space, knew how to deliver a ball, knew how to take a score. And... He was he was a forward string to play alongside, basically. So he was so um, really top class player. Brilliant. Uh, half forward, centre half forward. Um, I'm overlooking John McIntyre in this one. Um, John was a brilliant player, but I've I've opted to go with another player I played with um, at international rules level, and he certainly deserves to be in any top team of the last 25 years. Patrick Joyce, uh, Galway player, what a player he was. Um, sweet left foot could deliver a ball, could put in massive, massive um, scores in, in many games and a great player to play alongside as well. He's one of those type of players that, you know, he was the go-to man for, for most of the teams that he played on. Um, his performance in the All-Ireland Final in 2001 is up there with the greatest All-Ireland Final performances of all time and um, thankfully I got the opportunity to play with him uh, a number of seasons with the with the international rules and became good friends with him and Another player who put a ball on your on, on your chest <clears throat> without um, thinking too much about it, and um, with limited um, time and space in the ball as well. And but also another player who could kick freeze, who could kick the ball over the bar and could score goals as well. Just a, a tremendous uh, forward. Definitely is. He's changing. Um, he's changing goal with football in obviously a positive sense. Can you yeah. say winning All Ireland under Joyce? Galway always have quality footballers, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> the style suits them. You know, in the last couple of years, they've been playing a style of football that didn't suit the players that they've had. And I wasn't surprised to see Park go in and implement a more attacking brand of football to Galway because that's what they're used to. That's their traditional way of playing football. Yeah. And you can see the energy levels and the enjoyment levels of the players uh, playing for Galway nowadays. Uh, they're enjoying playing football again. They're enjoying pulling on that, that uh, maroon jersey uh, and representing the county again. And, and Park has instilled that belief in them and the energy uh, to go and play football and, and allowing the players to play with freedom. And it's exactly how he played as a footballer himself. And when you play like that as a footballer and you're trying to send that message through to your team and you see the rewards of it, then why not? Um, can Galway win all in the next couple of years? Absolutely. They're one of the few teams that can certainly go and challenge Dublin and um, they've got the footballers. They all, Galway have always had the ability. They, they always had the footballers. Uh, they haven't always uh, played to their strengths, but they seem to be playing their strengths now. Definitely. I think the next time 
hopefully it's this year the next time I think go in double meet could be an absolute cracker of a game yeah I think so too hopefully massive um, and the last yeah the, the last half forward um, in my team is the one and only Ashton McConville um, I certainly couldn't overlook this man you know time after time he saved our map from the hands of defeat to to nail the match winning score or, or these are or whatever it may be you know one of the best free takers um, ever for me the greatest uh, club footballer of all time you know uh, he's done it all he's produced massive individual performances he's won it all for his club he's won it all for his county and you know if you want a player to get his hands on the ball you know, in the damn moments of the game and generate a score, he was the man. He was a brilliant player, a brilliant teammate. And another player that I formed a fantastic understanding with and we knew how to link up uh, well together. And he was definitely, um, he, he had a real desire to get his hands on the ball. Even when he wasn't having his best game, he always demanded the ball uh, got to him. And, you know, like Sakir McGinney, and players further in the field always received a, a, an ear bashing if he didn't get the ball uh, up to washing uh, fast enough. And, you know, that's the type of character you need. Even when things weren't going his way, he still wanted to get his hands on the ball. And he always had, he, he had a serious, serious self-belief in his own ability. And that that's brilliant. Definitely. Like, look, like looking back on games um, from, obviously, 2002 would be, would be the main year you'd, you'd get any Armagh games on YouTube or whatever but uh, we would have always seen like growing up Bushy McConville as being this unbelievable footballer but he came into our, our, our school there I think we were in Leavenstor so it would have been no yeah I'd say Leavenstor probably three or four years ago now and um, he gave a talk and usually usually someone would come in and give a talk whether you're in transition year or something and they could be there for half an hour and five minutes into it you're zoned out and there could be only yeah. four people in the room and Oshie McConville came into the, the PE hall, and this is a school with about 650 students, and about 700 were there all together between staff and students. And like what he was telling, he told his own personal life story, he told his story. Yeah. But regardless, people, there was probably half the school that didn't have any interest in football. Everybody listened to him. The hair yeah. up on the back of your neck listened to him. Like he's just. just well, a, he's, got a good, he's got a brilliant story to tell, and he's been through the depths of depression you know um, his addiction to gambling and he's out the right side of it now and he's <clears throat> he's um, you know helping others uh, through their addictions as well now which is fantastic um, I suppose ending to to what he's been through but um, you know to be able to put in the performances that he, he did time after time week after week while he was going through his own addiction and, and demons you know is uh, something that I can only describe as uh, fantastic and amazing because um, it, it can only affect somebody in a seriously bad way to be going through those types of depression and gambling addictions and whatever else and to be able to put, a, put those performances in. But he, he often said that, you know, getting on the football field was a happy release for him and that's how he seen uh, things to be normal for him back then. That was his opportunity. That one hour of playing football was his opportunity to be normal. Yeah. But definitely, um, you know, Oshin has had many through their downfalls in the last number of years. And um, he's always a, a good source of, he, he's always willing to provide good source of information to anyone 
willing or going through heartache and hard times at the moment. Yeah, he like he told us like just even some of the stories he told us about his addiction and and like he had problems. Did he he had bad problems with his back as well? He had bad problems with his back, and that's probably throughout um, a lifetime of kicking fleas off the ground as well. Um, he had issues with his back, and through it, uh, through probably the, the latter stages of his footballing career, you've seen that he went from kicking fleas off the ground to taking them out of his hands, and that was the reason for that. So he was able to adapt as a footballer as well and to overcome serious back injury uh, to to still play at a very high level and produce the goods for his club well after his county career finished. Definitely, like the, the two hours we listened to him, I'd, I'd highly recommend anyone to even listen to him for if, if it's only half an hour you got to listen yeah. to him. Just him telling his own story is just it's it's inspiration to say. Yeah. Um, and we'll move on from Oshin now. So you said you have yourself at number thirteen there. And there's there's two spots left. Yeah. two spots left. Well, listen, <clears throat> I've been, uh, you know, I keep saying uh, how how do you leave an inside four line out of um. You know, I'm going to name the likes of Paddy Bradley, Kieran Donaghy, Bernard and Alan Brogan, you know, players of that calibre. How do you leave those type of players out? But I've opted to leave them out. Michael Murphy is another player. What a player he, he has become. I, I played with Michael at the start of his career and he was still a fantastic player there then, but probably in the last decade he's been... Um, the one outstanding player um, of the decade. But for me, uh, it's very hard to overlook the, the two guys that played inside and formed that, I suppose, um, line with, with Armagh for many years, Ronan Clark and Jim Martin. Um, the partnership, you know, with Ronan was a wee bit longer than what I played with Jim, but um, the understanding that me and Clarky had playing alongside each other um, was... You know, I suppose testament to the hours upon hours that we put on the training field. I knew how Ronan would play, and he knew how I would play. I knew where the ball was going to go. You know, he could flick a ball left or right. I could flick a ball to him as well in the same manner, and fall into the pathway and generate scores off it. He was a brilliant, brilliant player in terms of winning high ball, low ball. It didn't make a difference what way the ball was coming in. Clarkie, Clarkie could um, get his hands on it and, and cause. Uh, torment to the defenders um, I think he, you know he was unfortunate that his career was cut short in terms of injury but what a, what a class act he was where he was able to play the other player in the corner Jim Martin when I was probably around 17-18 Jim was the main uh, forward in the Armagh set up he was the main scoring threat for Armagh so he was and he was a player that I really really admired um, his energy levels his Strength, you know, we we often done tackling grids um, through, with that Armagh team, and while it was a seriously physical Armagh team, Jimmer was probably the best tackler that we had in the whole team. Is the speed of his hands was absolutely sick looking at it. So it was, but Jimmer, he was the type of player and teammate that you wanted to have in your team. He changed his game when the likes of myself and Clarkie come in to the fold to suit the team more so than to suit him. And he became more of a, I suppose, creator than a finisher and more of a, a I suppose, side attraction. If, if, you, if you like, you know, he, he was prepared to take more punishment than what he should have been taking uh, to allow us to flourish as, as players inside longs, uh, playing alongside him. And just what a, what a teammate. That's all I can say with Jim Marsh, what a teammate. Um, 
never ever shirk responsibility always up for the battle always up for the fight and produced ma- massive scores for him I down through the years as well but an absolute class act and, and as you said there that ability it's a, an ability that not every player has that ability to not not only play in different positions but to adapt to different situations as you said you know yeah. from being the kicker from being the one that does the hard yards to the donkey work and all that sort of stuff and yeah, exactly. He he was a player that do it as well. He was a player, you know, prepared to change his way of working pre Armagh times with McDonald and Clark to really work and make sure that the team was successful. And that's that's a sign of a top class um, footballer. Brilliant. Um, yeah, can't can't say anything wrong with that team. Anyways, there's been some some great teams now. In fairness, over the last yeah. Uh, last couple of months but that is definitely that's one that I'd love to see go up against either I'd see it go up against nearly all of them you've got like Joe Sheridan Maddie Donnelly Barry John Keane they've all made some great teams and uh, yeah. as I said before they come close to selling out Crow Park them games <laughs> yeah know? well listen every every player can pick 10 teams you know there's no doubt but um, I suppose um, what I've tried to implement in my team here is um Players who are out and out defenders who can stop and nullify the threat of, of serious danger men, but also players in defence that start attacks. I love players who have you know a focus on on driving forward. Um, I love players who can mix it. You know, can be tough and physical, but also <clears throat> can be a flair player as well. And then I suppose with my forward line, gone for players who are out and out. Scores, you know, I always have a saying if you play 10 to 15 on any team, your first and foremost responsibility is to get a score for that team. Um, your work rate, your tracking back, and whatever else comes after that. Um, and that's maybe, <coughs> excuse me, overlooked a lot of the time in terms of a forward and how he plays nowadays. <coughs> excuse me. And, you know, that responsibility of, of scoring sometimes is, is something that is overlooked by forwards, but uh, it should be the key number one priority for any forward in any team. Yeah, I have to agree with you on that because mm-hmm. the, the wing forward, the 10 and 12 can be, it's a donkey's role for the 10 and 12 now in the game. Yeah. And you can see that in every uh, club team or county team, it doesn't matter. The number 10 and the 12 have to have a serious engine in them just to run up and down the field. But then it's, it's, getting, it's doing them five or six runs and then you're getting the ball to kick a score. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, yes, everyone has a responsibility to work hard for the team, whether it's 10, 12 or 13 or 15. It doesn't matter. You all have a responsibility, but the main responsibility is you're a forward. Score for the team. That's the only way you will win games. So get yourself into an area where you can affect the scoreboard. And whether you're back in half-back line dispossessing a player, and I've been back in half-back line many times for our mad dispossessing players, but... I always got up the field as fast as I possibly could because my job, my primary job for the team was to get scores for it. And I always uh, wanted to get myself into a position where I could um, affect the scoreboard. And that's um, what Ford should be thinking of uh, nowadays. Particularly now, like there is a, a transformation in how the game has been played again. You know, there is more a direct style in teams nowadays. And, you know, while we expect and every manager and coach expects the 10 and 12 to have high energy and high levels of work rate uh, they should never overlook the fact that they are there to score and, and to put um, scores on the board for the team and to set, set up attacks as well and um, I think that's something that um, will will improve our game 
even more so if we can encourage all of our forwards to focus more on getting scores uh, first and foremost. 100%. Um, Steve McDonald, we've got a good hour out of that. Thanks, William, for joining me in the podcast. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. I've definitely enjoyed talking to you.